if you do great work, it creates more work. And so what that means is if you do a great job, your customers are really happy. They're going to champion you and they're going to refer people over to you or they're going to advocate for you as well. That's your number one form of marketing. And so I think a lot of businesses out there, agencies or no agencies, are spending time trying to actually do more marketing and sales. When in actual fact, you should just concentrate on doing more great work because that's what's going to drive more leads down the track for you as well. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 929. Today, we're going to be talking about 10 lessons learned growing a seven-figure agency in just 18 months. Of course, to do that is my special guest, Can, who's the person who did that. Welcome back, Can Huang from socialwave.com.au. Thanks, James. Good to be back. One thing I like about your story, Can, is just how fresh to this industry you are. We've had you on this show many times and we've talked about lots of things you've learned and how you've helped customers, especially with video marketing. But you also, you do lots of things from SEO through to offer creation. I think you're remarkable for a few reasons. One is you are a bit of a Swiss army knife. You are an all-rounder and it's actually rare that I find anyone who scales as a general specialist. Two is you haven't been in industry very long, but you've achieved a lot of success and I've asked you to come along and share your insights with our members in my own membership. And I thought it was good enough that I'd, I'd love to share your story a little bit broader to our general podcast audience. So we put together 10 talking points that you covered in your full presentation, which is inside my membership. And uh, I think they're just really inspirational. So who's this episode for? It's great if you've got an agency because that's what can grow. So this is a direct guideline as to how you might get some insights. It's probably going to be applicable to you regardless of what type of online business, even if you have e-commerce or an affiliate marketer or you sell information products, you can't help but find something out of one of these points that might sort of jog a little bit of inspiration or trigger you into uh, a positive action. So that would be my wish for this episode. Of course, Ken, you're coming along to share this. I know you actually have a program for agency owners who want to grow their agency with your help. And it's nice that you're at that point so quickly where you can say, hey, what I've done is a little bit uncommon. And if you haven't been able to achieve it now, maybe I can help you. Yeah, that's right, James. And I think um, it's sort of all come off the back of, you know, just general, you know, as you're an agency owner, you sort of talk to other agency owners. And we've had many conversations about this and sort of a lot of these owners were actually ending up coming to me for advice over a long period of time, just trying to understand how we were able to sort of grow so quickly, but also to scale, you know. You know, if you're an agency who has this sort of issue around not necessarily lead generation, but actually doing the work and doing it at a high quality and having a good team around you, this would be sort of the perfect episode for you. But, you know, as you mentioned as well, even if you don't own an agency, I think a lot of, um, you know, service-based businesses, um, if you've got sort of, you need a team to basically deliver uh, the high quality of work that you do, a lot of these lessons are going to be super relevant for you as well. Love it. Well, let's just, uh, let's get into the 10 lessons. The first lesson, you said good work creates more work. What does that mean? Well, it means that uh, a lot of people, you know, they get the clients in, they, they do all the hard work, which is get the sales, get the leads, and they promise these people the world. And then they end up uh, falling flat on their face in terms of doing the work. So you've got to be actually really good at what you promise you're going to do. I know it sounds really obvious, but actually a lot of people don't really do that. I mean, there's particularly in an agency world where, you know, they saw you sell you the dream, they throw the kitchen sink at you. I reckon it's every single industry in every category. I mean, it's absolutely rife with coaches. There are coaches who hire, or, you know, who take on um, clients and they've never actually had success or they, they don't even directly coach them. They have sub coaches or whatever. Um, <laughs> so what you're saying here is have great product, be actually really good at delivering on your promises. 
That's right. And if you do great work, it creates more work. And so what that means is if you do a great job, your customers are really happy. They're going to champion you and they're going to refer people over to you or they're going to advocate for you as well. That's your number one form of marketing. And so I think a lot of businesses out there, agencies or no agencies, are spending time trying to actually do more marketing and sales. But in actual fact, you should just concentrate on doing more great work because that's what's going to drive more leads down the track for you as well. That's so true. You know, I never advertised Silver Circle for 10 years because it was just uh, referrals from people who were already in the program and happy. So I've seen this pan out over a long period. And when you're not having to spend all your energy marketing, life's much simpler. So whether it's Steve Jobs or whoever else, there's lots of examples of where people have put the work into making great product and then letting that speak for itself. Lesson two, you can manufacture your own luck. Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. These are sort of bordering on uh, platitudes we've probably heard before. I know one of them is there like Gold Rats got a whole book on this about creating your own luck. And I truly believe this, that, uh, you know, there's sayings like the harder you work, the luckier you get. If you do put yourself in more situations, you're increasing the odds that something could come your way for success. But I wonder how you interpret this. Well, I think sort of in the early days of the agency, I want to say like the first six to 12 months at the very least. There was always sort of this case where in the first early iterations of your agency or your business, you're always trying to just keep the lights on. And so you're always like trying to go, right, I'm just going week to week. I'm just trying to make sure it make ends meet. And I'm just worried about, you know, one week at a time. You know, these are very cliche. They're very sort of like your isms. And it always happens so that when either something went wrong or something didn't go to plan, the following week or the following month or, you know, soon after, something would happen that would end up working out. And so I can remember a time when, you know, we lost maybe just one client, you know, it was a fairly large client of ours. We we're pretty upset by it because it was, you know, a significant amount of revenue lost. But the following week, something just, a massive client came along out of nowhere. And I put that down to luck. But I think over time, I started to realize, I was like, this is not a one-off. This kept happening to us. And it was partly just because, like you mentioned, you've got to be, you know, in the right place at the right time. You've got to put yourself out there because that's when you actually manufacture your sort of luck. And so I did it unconsciously, but I was actually out there networking. I was out there, you know, marketing myself, talking to people that eventually led to conversations and eventually leads and business coming to us and, and it working out really nicely for us. I love it. And I love the acknowledgement that there is some luck involved in being successful and that it's most likely um, you're going to have some bad luck and some good luck. But if you keep putting yourself out there and trying, then you can actually manufacture luck. I love it. Lesson number three, do you want to introduce this one? Yeah. So lesson number three is you need to constantly try and find new ways to improve and deliver greater value. So that is a bit of a vague one, but I suppose the example I can give here is we started out as basically just a video marketing or video production company. And over time, we started to learn about algorithms. We started to stack on, you know, knowledge around copywriting, ad creatives, you know, a whole range of, you know, skill sets that we otherwise didn't have at the start. And now some companies really focus on just that one area, that one niche, and that's, you know, what they're good at. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I did find that a lot of the opportunities came about in terms of growing our business through things that we otherwise probably didn't cover initially as an offering or as a product. And so if you have an open mind and you try and explore these new ways to improve and deliver greater value, sometimes that comes through in terms of being more proactive to your clients. So take, for example, we may have clients where we're just taking care of, say, their video production or their video marketing. We might find, hey, like if you actually did ads this way or you had a funnel set up this way and constantly provide new value, that actually ended up helping us grow the agency in general. I love this one. It implies being tuned into your client and it implies a growth attitude that you're not resting on your laurels. It brings in ideas of innovation, thinking of Kaizen, like the cycle of never any improvement. For me, I know this is true because I started off teaching people how to build websites and now 
I am more of a sounding board for business owners. So I've moved into a different area, but I can create the most value for them doing those functions by just understanding what their challenges are and finding the areas where they can't get supply, they can't get that help from anyone else. So it's created this little sweet spot for me. Uh, let's talk about lesson four. This is a bit risque. Stop fetish fetishizing, can't even pronounce that one, um, learning and get good at deploying. So I speak from personal experience. I was one of those guys back in the early days where I'd like buy online courses, I'd get these books and I'd read about them and I'd be like, cool, I'm just like learning, 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 but I never deployed, right? And now sort of thinking back, I actually do speak to people who I see those those red flags, like they essentially are doing a lot of learning, but not enough deploying. And what that basically means is like, you can learn about something which is fine, but you can very easily learn about something, do nothing about it, and then move on to the next thing, and then move on to the next thing, and then end up not actually applying that into anything whatsoever. And so what I made a rule for was as soon as I learned something, I wouldn't move on to learning anything new without deploying what I just learned. And I did that over time where I would learn about something, apply that within the agency, within the business. So whether it's uh, learning about the YouTube algorithm, learning about copywriting, whatever the case may be, once I got really good at that, did I feel okay to then move on to the next thing and learn about something new? And so it's more about the order in which you learn and then deploy as opposed to just constantly learn and do nothing about it. And I think you're describing every single person who's listening to this or watching this podcast. I actually recently found out there's a Japanese word called sundoku, and it's the art of buying books and never reading them. And <laughs> it, it, it really resonated with me because books often don't get finished. And, you know, sometimes they don't even get started. And the same applies to courses. I mean, how many courses have we bought that we've never finished? You know, so there's different ways. One way I've solved it for people is to deliver live trainings. I ran one today, for example, and that sort of forces a deadline and it brings together a community. It's what we do in the membership. It's why I think when I do the weekly calls that I do, people learn because they have the deadline and they've got the community. So to get good at deploying, you have to say, okay, I'm going to stop inputting and I'm going to start outputting. I would summarize this one as, more output, less inputs. Once you've stocked up enough, turn that tap off for a while and just deliver and then restock. I like this one. Lesson five, do the boring work. And when you think you've done enough, do more of it. Sounds exciting. Yeah, exciting and boring. But uh, I know this is probably one of the big things why I work with you, James, which is to keep me on the straight and the narrow. <laughs> because I'm boring. I love it. <laughs> no, not because of that. But because of the fact that I, and I can say a lot of people definitely have the same issue, which is we get shiny object syndrome. Oh my God. Visionaries are a nightmare to work with. Eh? <laughs> Every single week they bring a brand new entire business idea. <laughs> like Because they're creative and brilliant and they can solve every problem, it is absolutely, um, it's a significant situation with entrepreneurs. And I think this is a really important point. Yes, sometimes you need to close the excitement door, like the social medias or that great new idea or the fantastic new person you just met and they want you to come and do this project with them. Sometimes you have to say no and put up the bumper rails like in the 10-pin bowling alley. And let's, come on, we came to the bowling alley to get a strike. Let's, let's not go and play golf yet. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got actually your uncle who literally just, he runs a $100 million business importing all forms of cork products. So he works with some of the biggest retailers out here. Like for those of you in Australia, you know, like Bunnings Warehouse, these sort of big suppliers out there, sorry, big retailers out there. And I remember speaking to him and I said, like, what's the secret to like growing such a big business? And he's like, stay in your lane, don't get distracted and just keep doing the boring work, right? And when you think you've done enough, do more of it. That's where I got this thing from. It's just a classic case of just saying, you've got all these ideas and like, you know, we talk about myself being a Swiss Army knife. 
I want to do it all. I want to try many, many different things. But what I found was if you just spread yourself too thin and you're trying to do too many things at once, you end up doing none of it great. Like it's all pretty mediocre. It's all pretty bad. And so I've really sort of narrowed that focus and really gone, right, if I really want to make this agency grow and do really well of it, I've just got to keep focusing on the agency and nothing else and not be distracted. Yeah, I think, you know, cheers to the discipline that that takes. But you'll find almost everyone who's achieved success has been through some difficult times. I know even in my surfing progression, there's been times where I've been smashed around or held under the wave or belted by the board and I just think, damn it, I just want to stop. Like, that's it. This isn't for me. I'm I'm not able to do this. But then I push through. And that's when you get the big success. It's like it balances out all that pain and punishment and, and difficult work to get to the thing. Like any Olympic athlete, they would have done a lot of boring, you know, drives to the, the track at four in the morning to do their exercising and stuff. Totally. It, it's part of the story of success and people gloss over that. But I think it's, it's absolutely critical. I really like that point. Lesson six, business success can be predicated on having a long runway. Yeah, I think... You know, I really underestimated this. And I think it's just the world of marketing. Everything is about like the quick hacks and the silver bullets and like getting the quick results. You know, the overnight millionaire, that sort of success. But even the title of this podcast is not far off that, you know, like it's, it's not far off. It. 18 yeah. months millionaire or seven figure agency. You actually have had a fast track, but it is uncommon. I can tell you from coaching a lot of people, I've helped people get to six figures very quickly, but it's rare that you see someone get to seven figures from scratch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had this notion that, you know, you could build a seven figure, and, and I'm sure people out, well, people have definitely done this, but you can do it in like three months, you can do it in six months. And so, you know, prior to hitting seven figures in 18 months, I really didn't quite understand just how long it actually does take. Now, 18 months seems like a really quick time, but it also seems like a really long period of time as well. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it on a day-to-day basis or the daily grind, you're slogging away literally for, you know, a year and a half. And there were times I would say like, it's not like this linear approach of just growth where I was able to just hit seven figures. I'm like, hooray, like this is all fantastic. You know, we had our ups and downs, you know, whether it was through revenue, we, you know, lost clients, we lost staff, you know, team had to go through restructure. There was some bumpy rides along the road, but I think it's more about, I guess the lesson here is to stay the course. You know, Seth Godin talks about the dip, which is like when your business is maybe not doing so well, like I went through patches where, you know, we weren't converting any sort of leads we were getting. I was doing lots and lots of sales calls. It just wasn't having great success that if you just stayed the course and you know you just believed in the process that you just don't know when you're going to come out of that dip and come out the other side and i remember going through a really rough patch a couple of years ago at the end of 2020 and one of the toughest things was i I think i did about a dozen or 15 sales calls and i didn't convert a single one and then i was actually talking to a lot of like business and i was saying like i think i'm ready to tap out i really don't want to sort of keep doing this i'm really sort of being down by the whole process they said look just stay the course. And lo and behold, literally just after Christmas, January, February, we had record months. We had clients saying, yes, yes, yes. And I realized I was like, wow, okay, having a runway, staying the course is really, really important for business and not to tap out too early. Yeah. And look, speaking to your point about it not being linear, you know, for me, it was this, there's a lot of circumstance and context that could be involved in this discussion because when I was coming online, I had a job. So I built my stuff you know, it went basically from zero to two grand to five grand to 10 grand a month over the first 18 months. And then I nudged it up a bit to 12 to 15 over the next six months. And then they sort of came to a point where I instantly doubled it. I basically blew past a hundred grand a month at about the same time as I quit my job and never looked back. So I reached seven figures. It took me two and a half years, but I had a job in the meantime. 
So it was slowing me down, the, the progression. If I had nothing else to do but grow the business, I could have done it in a shorter time frame. but it wasn't practical because I still needed that income from my salary. I didn't have such a low cost of living that I could afford to only do the online business. So there's lots of context here, but it certainly started off steady and then it did a big jump and then it was steady for some time and then it scaled up as I grew my team and my business models and then I sold them off. So it slid back a bit, the revenue. And then I brought the profit back up to the old pre-higher revenue levels, but with a smaller team and a better business model. And over time, I'm just tuning that. But a lot of this also depends on your goals. But I will say this, whatever you're doing right now in this industry, it's extremely unlikely you'll be doing a similar thing in 10 years from now. Some of the fundamentals might still be in place, like good communication, good sales copy, maybe building a database having great integrity, delivering amazing products, having excellent support. All those things are fundamentals, but there'll be lots of nuances. We, we might be doing NFT tokens and all this sort of stuff. Who knows in 10 years from now, but it's likely that it'll be different. But think long-term, but like you said, focus on the short-term process. The process is what's going to save you in the short term. Lesson seven. Oh, by the way, do you have a poor uncle? Hmm. I would say yes. Yes, I do. I'm just thinking you could probably do a book like Rich Uncle, Poor Uncle. <laughs> Might have to call Robert, Robert Kiyosaki about that and see what his thoughts were. It could be a huge hit. It could be. Yeah. It could be definitely around business success. Lesson seven, making your first $100,000 is way harder than making your first million. Like I, I think this is from personal experience, but also talking to other business owners, whether you're agency owner or not. Definitely you're a nobody at the start. I guess that's the key here is that the first $100,000 you make, you're really stocking it out because you're trying to make a name for yourself. You're trying to grow your reputation. You're trying to get the awareness out there about what you do. And I can say that's definitely the same for us. But your first million is different because from 100,000 to a million, you've got social proof. You've got sort of results. You've got a track record. And generally that bodes pretty well for you. And it sort of leads back to sort of, I guess, the first lesson we were talking about, which is good work creates more work. Now, provided that you're a really good operator and you deliver on the value that you promise and your, your product or your service is great, I do believe that once you built up the velocity of making your first $100,000, the progress to get to 1 million is actually far more straightforward. Now, this may not be the case for everyone. Like you said, context is everything here, but this is with the assumption that you are doing the baseline minimum and you are doing a good job in terms of looking after your clients or your customers. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting one. I, I would say that making your first $100 online is way harder than making your first 10,000 you know, or making 100 grand. That's the bit where people get stuck, that finding your offer, getting the thing that, you know, busting down the doors, finding that thing that people will actually pay you money for and trust you and that you can actually deliver so hard. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as a coach who specializes in taking people from six to seven figures, I'll say that you need to be a different operator to get to a million dollars than you are at a couple hundred thousand. And I'm going to suggest in this case, I think you must have some special skills that are not widely shared. Because the thing that people get stuck on, firstly, they, have, they often get stuck on the mindset. Are they worthy of a million dollars? Could they even do it? Is it even possible? Another thing they will struggle with is getting enough reach or network or marketing to be able to actually have the volume required for a million dollars. They might also struggle with building team because you very rarely are going to make a million dollars with a small practice, you know, with one assistant. If you're a super highly specialized consultant, maybe. If you are a software developer or a songwriter or you somehow can score some royalties, maybe. But for most people, you're going to need a team and it's going to be quite a few people in that team. And then the final thing is you're going to have to be able to deal with customers because to get a million dollars, you're going to pro you know, at least 10 high demand $100,000 customers or 100 
$10,000 high expectation customers or $1,000 customers, you're going to have to be good at communication that. So I think you've got some special skills, Ken, and that's probably what you help people with who haven't been able to reach a million dollars and they could learn that from you. So that's a really interesting discussion point, lesson number seven. I think that's controversial. As controversial as number eight's going to be, I can't wait to talk about that one. <laughs> yeah, number eight is uh, speed over everything. I can say it is a testament to the success of Social Wave with speed, which is we aren't aiming for perfection. We really are just trying to get the minimum viable product out there. And we do believe in, you know, sort of going back to the whole fetishizing learning, which is get good at deploying. We learn something, we improve what it is that we do, and we deploy that as quick as possible. And that sort of iteration process, the optimization process of this, you know, they talk about this in software development, which is, you know, you sort of go through your agile processes and you come out and you come out with a, a sprint, which you spend a, a very short period of time to spit out a minimum viable product. It's the idea of like, let's not worry about all the bells and whistles of a car. Let's just get the four wheels and sort of the chassis and the frame of the car out there. The same principle, I believe, applies in what we're doing here in terms of growing business, which is how can you get the bare minimum out there? And a lot of the time, actually, if you think about you know business owners, is that they think that, I mean, their standards are very high, whereas the customer expectations can sometimes be a little bit lower than what you expect. And so you're, you're sacrificing this gap in terms of speed because you're trying to hit some level or some arbitrary standard or expectation around how good you need to be. When actual fact, you just need to hit this and the customer's quite happy. You're giving them exactly what they expect as well. And so... It's a long way around of basically saying it's like, don't focus too much on perfectionism, just focus on speed. How do I get this out as quick as efficiently as possible? Yeah. I mean, this topic's close to my heart. When I was selling, I focused on quantity over quality or volume over gross, right? This was an important one. I sold a lot more cars, but there's a guy actually, he called me up just a few months ago. He called my number and he said, James, do you remember me? It's Chris. I'm like, Chris. I hadn't seen this guy. Like the last time I worked with this guy was in 1997, right? So <laughs> just out of the blue. But he was the top grocer. He used to make the most commission for each car. Like he basically didn't give any discount or whatever. And he would sell just a few cars. And I sold the most cars. I would sell like 17 cars and he'd sell three. And he'd have the maximum gross and I'd have a reasonable gross. But I would make a lot more sales in total volume and a lot more profit for the business because I found that sweet spot. And I, I've been a fan of speed. I do think that in the early days, especially, just move quickly. I'm absolutely not a perfectionist. And I will definitely not have considered myself an artist, right? I'm far more of a process-driven person. And I was quick. I even named my business back in 2007 or eight. I named my business Superfast Business. And I've only just now dropped that because just now at the point that I'm at where I've been making seven figures for well over a decade per year, and I now recognize there's other elements than just speed. And it's not just quality or being a perfectionist. There can be some art or creativity to it. There could be things that you should actually be slow with. Now, you listen to guys like Naval or whatever. The biggest decisions are, what are you going to do? Who are you going to serve? Where will you spend all your time in the next 10 years? Those decisions shouldn't be made quickly. So my main point here is, in general, I think speed can reward you very well. But there will certainly be times when you should be very slow on some critical decisions, especially who you're going to marry, where you're going to live, who you're going to serve, what you're going to spend your next 10 years doing, who you're going to hire. Those sort of things you want to be fairly careful about because they have huge implications. They will literally change the outcome of your life. In your case, though, you have been uh, handsomely rewarded for being so quick 
And I think that's your super skill. You just roll through things just so much faster. And because I get to work with lots of people and partner with people, and you're one of the partners I have, I know how quick you are. You're so quick. <laughs> and the people are still asleep before you finish the task. It's great. <laughs> so- well, you sort of touch on that, James, which is also like, I think people don't, they, sh- they should take these lessons, not necessarily like literally. These are hyperboles. No, these are thought. I just yeah. want to provoke thought. For sure. I want to say, right, if, if you're not getting the results you want, maybe some of these things will lend you some ideas, you know, mm-hmm. or, or inspire you to focus on that one thing. I mean, one of the great things that I sort of follow from a speed perspective is um, Jeff Bezos has got a rule where he basically says, if it's a reversible decision, move quickly on it. Yep. But if it's an irreversible decision, think very carefully. And that's exactly what you said, which is like, who are you going to marry? Who are you going to serve? Like, you better be <laughs> yeah. careful because they're, they're, quite, they're very difficult or impossible to reverse down the track. And so- They're really difficult. I can tell you that. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you, you know, you want to put some time aside. Like, there are things that you should be slow with, but um, for things that you shouldn't be slow with, if you are slow unnecessarily, then you just, it's a waste. It's a shame. Exactly. Like- when Greg Merrily sends me over designs for a new thing or whatever, I just look at it and I go, yeah, that's great. Like I'm yeah. not messing around with it because I do move quickly and I built my whole brand around Like part of my offer to people is that I answer them basically within a day. I'm, I have a same-day service for coaching and no one offers that uh, until now. Maybe with, with you, I think that's also an option. <laughs> but it's rare because people just aren't, they're just not that fast. Let's talk about number nine. Go on a fence earlier than you think you need to. This one sounds provocative. Well, this was one of those ones where I think it was a bit of a mindset shift. And I guess the catalyst for that was I'd actually leading up until actually, I want to say six months ago, I want to say the business was on defense. And what I mean by on defense was we were in like preservation mode. We were like, all right, how do I take money off the table? How do I do this to sort of minimize any risk? And so I was always looking at it from a negative glass half empty lens, right? And talking to a few business owners, again, you can see where I get a lot of inspiration. I sort of just talked to a lot of people who've been there. They talked about going on offense. What offense basically meant was, why don't you go, for example, in my case, they're like, well, if you need more leads, why don't you go and hire a sales and marketing coordinator? Why don't you hire a business development manager? Why don't you hire someone in your team who can actually go out there and focus on that one area? And so I was thinking, I was like, oh, this is going to cost me more in terms of wages. My payroll is going to blow out. And so going on offense earlier than you think you need to is a lesson in essence of understanding that you don't need to worry about sort of, I guess, taking money off the table. You don't need to worry as much about going into the red. These are things that can be taken care of down the track and you should be more aggressive than you think you need to because the disproportionate results as a result of going on offense are actually far better in the long run. So it's probably a lesson in risk management and just sort of seeing things in a different lens. It's pretty close cousins to that sort of concept of um, people who try to aggressively cost cut when there's an emergency or whatever, and that they usually cut sales and marketing, <laughs> one of the first things, yes, which exactly. is the thing that cuts off the oxygen to the business. And then the, on the flip side, it's where you sort of reframe costs as investments. So, you know, I've invested in better sales copy. I've invested at times in traffic. I've invested in a great team. I've invested a fortune in things like website hosting and blah, 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 equipment to get my business going well. So things that I would spend money on might seem like a lot to a bootstrapper, but they're not a lot um, relative to the size of my business and the profit margin that I enjoy because I've been able to be bold. Basically, if I were to summarize number nine, be bold with your advance. One of my mentors used to say, don't sell off the back foot. That means Salespeople who are shy and waiting for the customer so they could react to them. Get out there, be a go getter. Number 10, 
continuity leads to success. I already love the sound of this. I want you to explain what it means. Yeah. So for a business like an agency, I have a very strong feeling about continuity, particularly around team members, you know, and that is you don't need a team of superstars. You need a team that is just familiar and stays with you, of course. And I know you're a big fan of this, James, as well. Oh, God, this you're speaking my language. I'm sick of hearing about how everyone has to be an A player and hire people who are the best in their field. Like, It has not been my experience. So you and I, we're really closely aligned on this one and we're counter market. So I think of like your team as a football team. You know, you've got like your A-grade superstars. You've probably got, you know, two to three of those. Um, all my team are amazing. They're just great. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so I mean, look. No doubt about in it. In my case, you know, I think every business needs. They're a surfing team. That's right. You, you need like a, a mix of, you know, sort of different roles. You know, you've got like A-grade. They drive the business. They're your leaders. They're your senior guys. They know what's going on. They propel the business forward. But you need sort of more of your, you know, so to speak, like your role players, the guys who do their part, they've got very areas of specialization. Then you've got your bench players who come in and they do a bit of everything. You know, they have more utility. They can sort of cover three to four areas. And so if you have this sort of good mix and this continuity, which is really key here and keeping the same team, then that will lead to great success. And I think, like you said, everyone's sort of not happy with having just a B-grade player. And I think the thing here is, is that you sort of need to actually continue to invest in continuity, meaning the same team members, right? The same processes that you do make things wash, rinse, and repeatable because that is what leads to business success. Because if at the end of the day, you're the one who ends up having to like throw the baby out with a basketball, meaning you're going to be firing people, you're going to make changes all the time, no one's going to be able to keep up. And then what it ends up becoming is it becomes too founder centric. And then you have, you don't have a business, you just have a, you know, very well paid job essentially. And so I guess that's the lesson. We've sort of gone, gone down a different pathway, but I think the continuity team is probably the biggest success for me. I think in continuity, you're not talking about recurring subscription plans. You're talking more about having a stable environment and a sustainable environment. If I was going to actually reference back to eight to 10, I would say the big lesson I've learned in the last few years is emphasize sustainability over speed because you'll be around yes. to be in business for a long time. And yeah, to your point about team, I, I mean, I, I love my team. We're actually a very flat hierarchy. We don't really have any layers of management anymore because there's only seven people, but they all have their own specialty. They're all good at special things. They're like, a, like the A team, you know, they do this. Each person's good at their thing, but they can cover for each other and they do care about the success of the business. And we do report daily metrics that everyone is involved with and can influence, which is part of the glue. And, you know, like your lesson number seven about um, going to a million dollars relatively easily after a hundred thousand, you know, you just being good at that. I didn't realize how hard it is for people to run a team. I think team is the secret source, really. If you can get that right and you're a good communicator and you've got great products, you're going to have a great business. So one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today is you've recently decided to help a few agencies to figure it all out for themselves. And part of your track record, I think it should be worth saying, like just to clarify this, you've helped more than 50 businesses now and you've generated over $15 million in revenue for them at the same time as generating a good revenue for your own business. So you're helping a few business owners, I know a couple of them actually, to grow their business. And some of the things that you're doing are helping them with their positioning, which obviously is critical, helping them with their offer, crafting an irresistible offer, which is like probably absolutely hands down the number one thing you have to have to scale. Without that, you've got nothing. And then, of course, the things that I think you're actually really good at, Ken, the sales strategy and tactics, conversions, and of course, content creation. You've been doing video marketing, you've been running ads, you do SEO, you've got the whole lot. So 
how do we get in touch with you if we're interested in getting some help from Can to grow the agency? Yeah, so I mean, this is a fairly new, um, I guess, offering. It's uh, something that I'm sort of very passionate about. I think, you know, like I mentioned over the last sort of six months, just a lot of people coming to me sort of trying to understand and getting help with what I've been able to achieve. I think it's just more sort of passing on the torch, so to speak. But um, I think, you know, the way I've sort of wanting to frame it up is to be able to do this on a one-to-one basis. I found I got the most out of it when I got really bespoke and tailored advice for my unique situation. Because you can invest in all of the courses and all of these sort of education in the world, but you end up finding, and at least in my experience, you end up finding that there's always a little bit of a gap that you need to fill in with someone who's got the experience, who's been there where you want to get to, who can give you that sort of very, very specific you know, mentorship or coaching that you need. And so that's what I'm looking to provide people based on the experience on what I've achieved. And then for them to get in touch, all they've got to do is get in touch by email. So that's can at socialwave.com.au. We'll tee up a time, we'll sit down, we'll have a chat. And I think the main thing is just to find out firstly if we're a good fit for one another, if I can help you. And then from there, you know, I can definitely see us helping. I do also have a membership, so to speak. Like it's not the same as yours, James, a little bit different where there's a lot of resources and tools, you know. Yeah, mine changes every week at the moment. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no, no, at the time of recording this, obviously, we've switched names. So I'm having a joke. We've been extremely stable for 10 years, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I mean, look, for, for ours, probably less to do with, you know, some of the training. You, I know you do monthly training as well, but um, I think mine's mainly around like, you know, cheat sheets, templates. You know, if you're looking to recruit, here are our job descriptions. There's a whole plethora of things, you know, think of it as like a library that you can cherry pick from. And so when you sort of combine that with the one-to-one sort of consulting that I'm looking to do, that's where I think I can provide a lot of value for um, agency owners so they can get in touch with me via email to find out if I can help them. There you go. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate you coming along and sharing. I, I think it was a great discussion. The 10 lessons learned while Ken was growing a seven-figure agency in just 18 months. I mean, that's just really rapid. Ken is fresh and he's groovy and hip to what's happening now in agency land. Episode 929, we will put the transcript up on jamesramco.com and that's Can Huang there from socialwave.com.au. Thanks, mate. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. This is James Shramko. 